Hostis humani generis. It's a Latin phrase and it means the enemy of all mankind. It's used to describe someone who's thought of as beyond legal protection. The term used about pirates and now about terrorists. In this podcast, Sonia Schillings describes how this ancient term with a long history is used in the narrative construction of legitimate violence. There's a real-life war going on right now on the open seas between actual pirates and the American mercenaries making big bucks to fight them off. Steady the weapon. To defend themselves, shipping companies are now spending close to a billion dollars on private guards who are now waging a largely hidden mercenary war against pirates. All of this corporate cash is attracting security firms from all over the world with varying levels of discipline. The United States has evacuated all non-emergency staff from its embassy in Pakistan citing security threats hours after three unmanned aerial drone strikes killed at least 12 militant soldiers in Yemen who were suspected of being al-Qaeda members. Afghanistan's top ISIL commander has been killed in a U.S. airstrike in the east of the country, officials claim. Hafez Saeed would be the fourth ex-Taliban militant declaring loyalty to the jihadist group to be killed in the space of a week. Hello and welcome to Port Academy. My name is Tatiana Prorokova and I'm glad to have here Dr. Sonia Schillings to discuss her forthcoming book based on her dissertation titled Hostis Humani Generis and the Narrative Construction of Legitimate Violence. Um, hello, Sonia. Before we proceed, however, I'd like to say a couple of words about Dr. Schilling's academic career. She wrote her dissertation at the Graduate School of North American Studies at um, Freie Universität Berlin in Germany, where she also held a position of a substitute junior professor for North American literature in summer semester 2014. And since October 2014, she's a postdoctoral researcher in the International Graduate Center for the Study of Culture at um, Gissen University in Germany. So, Sonia, in your dissertation, your main concern is the relationship between two criminal groups, which are pirates and terrorists. You argue that both have one thing in common, and that is they can be characterized as hostis humani generis. Um, could you elaborate on that and maybe explain your choice of these particular groups? Well, my basic concern is uh, is really with hostis humani generis, which is a legal term of art. Um, uh, it's a Latin term, which means translated enemy of all humankind. And that is quite generally a legal fiction, you could say, that is assigned to perpetrators who are considered not just enemies, uh, but, but enemies of the, of the law, of the normative order, enemies so hostile and so extreme that that you can basically commit legitimate violence against them just because you committed against them. And it's a term that was traditionally, I mean in legal history, basically synonymous with the crime of piracy. The enemy of all uh, mean essentially means that everybody without distinction is being attacked by those. This is why violence against them is always so representative of the entire human race, you could say, or it's claimed to be, of course, because uh, the claims that I look at are only ever in text. So, so much for that. So, pirates and terrorists. As I've been saying, Hostis Humani Generis was originally uh, designated to describe pirates only until approximately the early 19th century, 
when uh, Hostis Humani Generis and the crime of piracy separated. Uh, and Hostis Humani Generis was also discussed uh, or used rather to describe slave traders, international slave traders. And then later in the, in the 20th century, it was also used uh, to describe perpetrators of crimes against humanity. Uh, the torturer is the most uh, established example here. And now what we see since the 1980s is that you have the political initiative to also describe uh, international terrorists as pirates. And this is actually, this link is actually something that originally spurred my interest in the topic of Hostus Humani Generis, because other than the fiction itself, other than Hostus Humani Generis, this legal uh, description or, or characterization of what they do to the societies or the orders they attack, pirates and terrorists have very little in common necessarily. Even so, they were constantly combined um, or, or associated with each other even against the great reservations of, of the entire maritime securities uh, community. This is where the pirate terrorist nexus, for instance, refers to. So you provided this sort of brief historical overview of this pirates, terrorists, nexus. Um, what I was just wondering is, can you actually spot any difference between pirates and terrorists of the 20th century and 21st century? Was there any shift after 2000, 2001? Yes and no. There was certainly a shift of, of it being more doable. First of all, that. And second of all, you had you suddenly had uh, Somali pirates, which is why why maritime security got to be, uh, and, and piracy, classic violent piracy, um, rather than copyright piracy or any other um, more metaphorical usage, became part of, of, of political conversations and of security considerations again. And in that sense, there is a difference. Um, but I'll come back to that. Um, first, perhaps let me explain <clears throat> the term I used before, uh, pirate terrorist nexus, because that comes precisely from this more recent uh, 21st century debate uh, with the international terrorists who were, as you rightly say, this figure of, of, of evil, essentially, especially in, in uh, US American discourse and, uh, and, and, and the enemy of all humankind um, out to attack us and and then you had the Somali pirates and uh, and and within those uh, Somali piracy debates you could constantly see people arguing yeah well the pirates they are like terrorists and 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 they look to uh, and terrorists and pirates they fund each other and they support each other and they basically create these uh, these these uh, kingdoms of uh, of non-state evil and so on and so forth one day this is actually pretty funny in 2005 uh, there was an article written about that it was already a pretty conventional thing some some people who wrote I think from, from the perspective of, of, in, of insurance companies or, or some oil interest or 
I think it had something to do with oil, I, I don't recall. But anyway, they wrote a pretty conventionalized argument about how the, how the pirates of Somalia were like terrorists. And then this maritime security expert, Charles Dragonet, really, really, really got pissed. And he wrote this letter to the edi editor, infuriated. Well, all of those people, they completely ignore everything that research tells us. The entire maritime securities community is absolutely 100% certain that the that contemporary maritime piracy and contemporary networks of international terrorism have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. And this pirate-terrorist nexus that they imagine is constantly showing up and it's really, really getting on my nerves. <laughs> this is essentially what he wrote in this comparatively short piece, but after that, this pirate-terrorist nexus became a phrase because it really refers only to a discursive link between pirates and terrorists that does not necessarily have anything to do with a link of the phenomena that you want to describe by these terms. And... So this pirate-terrorist nexus, as Dragonet calls it, that actually has been tested by U.S. administrations ever since the 1980s. And, uh, and so the discourse itself is not necessarily that new, but it, it, is, uh, it is more exercisable. The, um, the thing was that in the 80s, the Reagan administration wanted or, or confronted a situation. The international community did. And, uh, and that situation was the Achillau affair. This was the, uh, the incident where Palestinian... Yeah, well, since we're talking about pirates and terrorists, you don't know what to call them. So in any case, they hijacked a ship a cruise ship, and wanted to uh, free a number of Palestinian uh, prisoners in Israeli camps and for some reason uh, a Nazi from a French prison. And in exchange they would set the hostages free. And in the course of that, of that very dramatic, but in comparison, I think one person died, uh, comparatively bloodless hijacking uh, situation, they crossed territorial waters, the high seas, various national territories, and so on and so forth, airspace. So basically, the problem was that, uh, that, that, uh, that this incident showed the international community, which was generally in agreement that these were terrorists, showed them, however, that, that the crime of piracy as it was understood before uh, the 20th century. The, the early modern understanding of pirates and the then contemporary understanding of, of terrorists may have something to do with each other and may be comparatively close or closer than one would have thought. And actually, the Reagan administration was the only administration that surprised everybody, that said, no, these are not terrorists, they are pirates. And uh, the reason for that, of course, they, they changed their, tunes, their tune after they got a lot of resistance against that. But the, but the reason, the, the logic was 
that they wanted to be able to use Hosta Sumani Generis for terrorists. Because previously terrorism was something that was conventionally understood as an attack from within a specific nation state. Of course, you've always had these international connections, but really generally it was um, an attack against a state within state territory. Since you mentioned this term, hostis humanitarianis, the enemy of all humankind, so is there a particular image that you actually adhere to, or is it a rather broad term that includes specific categories of the enemy? Could you maybe elaborate a bit on this? Yeah, well, uh, hostis humanitarianis has often been used uh, when, when it was studied in its own right, which hasn't happened a lot so far, but it had, has always been studied as a figure as an image. The enemy of all humankind has certain properties that are constant over time. Um, but of course, the wide varieties of perpetrators that are actually characterized as enemies of all humankind speak against that. Because, um, for instance, if you compare a classic maritime pirate and a torturer, for instance, both of them have been characterized as enemies of all humankind, but as figures, if you, if you, if you look at the perpetrators that were charged and, uh, and, and also at the context, how they uh, interact within statehood uh, or towards statehood in general, they are extremely different. So how I have, uh, have come to view it in contrast to those positions that are, for instance, represented, you could say, by the seminal study of Daniel Heller Rosen, The Enemy of All. I see Hostess Humani Generis not as the characterization of a figure, but as a constellation in its own right, which means a relationship between certain figures. And this relationship has to have certain specific properties. And, and, and how that relation specifically looks like, I, I trace in my book, but uh, with regard to, to the pirate-terrorist nexus, this is an interesting overlap. This is um, why I think the pirate-terrorist nexus is not really a relationship between two perpetrator figures that is defining for Hostess Humani Generis, but it's interesting because there we have an overlap between an older figure of the pirate and a more recent figure that is just still in the process of being established as a figure, namely the international terrorist. And, and, and the link, the legal link between them has been made via Hostess Humani Generis. But now, and this is basically what the pirate terrorist nexus does, culturally speaking, is to reinforce the parallels and make them defining. This is not about the pirate then. This is in order to be able to have a an image of, uh, of the terrorist as an international terrorist and also as a, as a figure against whom um, legitimate violence can always be committed. Because one of the most important legal implications of Hostess Humani Generis is the notion of universal jurisdiction, which means that a state can intervene against uh, an enemy of all humankind outside of its conventional boundaries, that is, in different territory, by different means. And what comes to mind here, of course, is the um, assassination of 
Somali pirates uh, in the Mask Alabama um, hijacking case, followed comparatively closely by the assassination of Osama bin Laden. Both of them not by U.S. military outside of uh, U.S. territory, and both of them, both of these cases being against international law, but because the terrorist and the pirate were associated with each other and as enemies of all humankind, the United States received comparatively little resistance against these assassinations. And that is, uh, that is due to the very, very successful usage of this fiction and of its, uh, its cultural interpretation. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. So concerning the culture, or cultural aspects of this hostage communicator, because you focused quite a lot on the time period of the Reagan pre presidency and 1980s, and how the discourse was formulated and maybe reshaped at those times. But would you say that this, this pirates, terrorist nexus has changed culturally by now? Because it's been like 35 years. Has the culture of this phenomenon changed? In my book, I trace the history of the fiction back until antiquity. There are basically two major interpretive shifts, um, namely the beginning of modernity and the early 20th century uh, or mid-20th century when it's used in the context of human rights law. And now what we see in the United States until the present day, which is in comparison to that, of course, not that different, what we see is basically a backlash to the to the early modern usage of the fiction. And this is what I trace in the book. However, there is uh, one difference between the 1980s and today, and that is, of course, that in the 1980s, you still had the Cold War, which means that you could not, uh, when you talked about terrorism, um, and there's an, a very interesting um, somewhat disturbing, but very interesting publication that Benjamin Netanyahu edited, Terrorism, How the West Can Win. And uh, in that publication, that publication is essentially an attempt to lobby for the usage of hostess humani generis in the case of terrorists. And there you see, in, in this publication, you see very clearly the restrictions that the Cold War places on this discourse at that time, because you still have the main enemy of the Soviet Union from which the terrorist is derived as some kind of loose cannon sideshow. But today that has changed. And the context within which terrorists or international terrorists, as hostess humani generis, viewed is no longer uh, the Soviet Union, but it's Islam. It's, uh, it's, it's an extremely racist and essentializing notion of Islam that is now taking the place of the Soviet Union as the ultimate enemy, which the terrorist is then deemed to represent. Um, would you say that this, this particular point of view is promoted by the United States, or is it a worldwide accepted position? 
Well, it depends a little bit on which cultures, uh, which legal cultures also are actually using hostis humani generis in that way. For instance, you would have difficulty, I think, finding many African states that are, ve that are particularly keen on that. It, it's more a Western uh, notion because it facilitates intervention. And this is a point um, that has constantly been made throughout the, the small body of research that has so far been done on the fiction, but this is something that people are very clear about, that this is an enabling um, constellation. It's an enabling framework that is not used to describe but or to describe a phenomenon, but to create discursive conditions for legitimate violence, or violence that can then be sold as legitimate, represented as legitimate. That is the point. It's not to describe a phenomenon in the best way. And this is the entire thing that the pirate terrorist nexus charge also referred to in a nutshell, because what Dragonet did was really to, uh, to call attention to this huge discrepancy of the phenomenon or the phenomena that you could look at in the real world and the way it was characterized in order to make intervention against these phenomena legitimate. And that essentially um, is that. Um, Sonia, could you maybe draw a brief conclusion that you come up with in your book? A brief conclusion. Well, that's yes. um, the the conclusion of the book is is really to draw attention to this uh, hostess humani generous fiction as a kind of cultural blueprint to create texts within which a, a sustainable claim to legitimate violence can be made. Uh, hostess humani generous creates conditions that have to be met in order to make such a claim persuasive, at least in cultures that have that cultural background, such as the United States or Great Britain, or in some ways um, Israel. Um, but perhaps the conclusion from this conversation would, would come back to this pirate-terrorist nexus discrepancy, I think, to, to emphasize that once more, that, that, that both pirate and terrorists are not descriptive labels. It's never a good idea to use these terms in order to describe anything. Many piracy scholars today, uh, starting with Patricia Risso, who, who was the first to use this to my knowledge, was to speak of maritime violence rather than of piracy, because it's such a biased term that is enabling rather than descriptive. And it's the same thing with terrorism, and it's just interesting to see not only that it is enabling, but also how exactly it is enabling, what the conditions are. And that is something that I unpack very extensively in, in my forthcoming book. Thank you very much for your talk. Thank you for the conversation. Mm -hmm.